All right, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. I picked a very special text today for Father's Day. Turn to Deuteronomy 20, where we get to talk about war and what we do with people that violate our daughters. thought that'd be perfect for this morning. We're going to do 21 and 22 also, so we're going to rush through this. Uh, not 20, but 21 is kind of a, a quick one, and uh, then 22 is pretty quick also. Didymores, they show up. These, cr- these crazy people that have babies just show up the next day. So they had a new baby, baby girl Eliza, uh, Michelle. Um, we have a sign-up sheet for meals for them, if you're interested, and signing up and taking them a meal. Uh, begins Monday, obviously tomorrow, the 18th, and then 20th, and we do every other day. So that'll be out there if you're interested in in uh, signing up and taking them a meal. So congratulations to them. All right. Camp went well, I think. All the kids came back alive, so that was a, that was a bonus. What's that? I was there for the most part, yeah. Yep, but it went well. Um, foam machine was a hit. That was that special piece of gear that we bought, a foam machine to make the slip and slide. It was just covered with foam. It was a blast. So we're not going to use that once a year. So... Maybe next Sunday we'll fill this room up, have a little foam party in here. I'm thinking we need to try that. Um, it was a blast. We had a good time. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 20, as Moses continues to give the nation of Israel their second time, uh, give them the law the second time to fill them in on this next generation that's going into the uh, new land. He's going to talk about war here, what it means to go to battle and who goes and who doesn't go. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, um, and, he, and he means that by, yeah, you're going to see that, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be, when you are on the verge of battle, that the priest shall approach and speak to the people, and he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. And do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. In other words, a lot of times God will actually put them in a position where they are overwhelmed by the opposition so that they trust in him. In fact, their first battle against Jericho, most of us know the story. If you've grown up in church at all, they march around. They don't even get to get their weapons out. They just march around and the place falls. And that's to show them something, to teach them something, that with God, you are a a majority. Um, You're never in the minority when you're with the Lord. Um, We talk a lot about today having support groups and um, support systems and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And God will actually talk about that here in the next two chapters, how we're supposed to look out for one another. But we should never, ever rely on those support systems or support groups. Our support system, our support group as Christians is God. And if you've got God, you have all the support you're ever going to need. We think of David in 1 Samuel 17.45 when he comes up against uh, Goliath, the giant of the Philistines. The entire army of Israel was paralyzed with fear because of one man. He kept saying, come on out here and fight me. And no, none of them wanted to do it, including the king. Saul was afraid to go out and do this. And so David, a little kid who wasn't allowed to go to battle because he was too young and he needed to take care of the sheep back home, got to go and visit, at least, and see what was going on up there. 
by taking some bread and cheese to his brothers. His dad said, find out what's going on. So he went up there, and he sees this guy mouthing off in the middle of the field about Israel. And he says, who's going to go over there and take this guy's head off? Paraphrasing. And they said, well, you know, you're a little kid. You need to go back home. They give him a hard time. He goes, I'll do it. And making a long story shorter anyway, he goes out there with five stones and a sling with no armor because the armor was too heavy for him. He didn't need that. He didn't need the weapons of this world. And the big giant says, you're going to come against me with sticks and rocks? And David's response was, you're going to come against me and my God? And so they started running at each other. David swung the first stone, sunk it deep into his forehead, knocked the guy flat, killed him, then cut his head off with his own sword. With God, we're a majority. And God wants him to know that. I want you to trust in me. When you have that dependence upon God, that complete trust in God, not in your own strength or any support group, because support groups will let you down, people let you down, they do. And you have been let down in your life. But God doesn't. He's faithful. He's always faithful. And he shows him that because the faithfulness that people see and understand and feel in chapter 20 of Deuteronomy needs to carry on over into Jesus Christ. Jesus is just as faithful to save us as he was everybody else in the Old Testament that he saved. He's just as reliable as he was in the Old Testament. He's never going to move. He's never going to forsake us. He's never going to let us fall. We have Christ. And so my salvation is secure in these little tiny stories that we read back here. It lets me know that no matter what, I've got Christ. I'm saved. And so he tells them that. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to go to battle being afraid, thinking God might help you out. I want you to go in completely confident that God's going to give you this victory. Now, here's that case of presumptuous sin. Be careful. You're going to do well because God sent you in there, not because you decided to go in and bring God with you. Now, that's where we kind of apply it for today. As a Christian, I can't do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a misquoted scripture. Keep it in context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when he's called and told me to do these things. I can't just go out and do what I want to do. I'm going to go conquer Russia because I feel like it. So I go get a boat or a plane or whatever mode of transportation I decide and drive over there and say, here I am to conquer you and I'll get my tail whooped because God didn't send me to do that. And I thought God was going to give me the ability to do that. No, he gives you the ability to do all things when he calls you to these things, like David. And so he says, when I send you into battle, I don't want you to look at their horses and chariots because you don't have any. I don't want you to look at what you don't have and what they do have. I want you to know who you, who you have, me. And it's the same for all of us. Who do you have in your heart? Who is with you? And so who can defeat you? If God is for me, who can be against me? Verse 5. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, what man is there? who has built a new house and has not dedicated it. Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. What man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. In other words, if you're a new guy, basically these are new guys, I want you to go ahead. Take care of your house. Take care of your vineyard. Uh, take care of your wife. You need to do that. Um, now, the older guys, you, you guys, you know, 30 plus, probably, you need to go to battle. You need to go to war. But these guys, let them go back. I don't want them distracted. You don't want anybody in a battle with you that's thinking about home. You want them thinking about home in the sense, I want to get home, maybe. 
But you don't want them distracted in the battle so that they forget what they're there to do and who they're there to fight for. Um, they have thanksgiving in their heart, not reservations or even resentment towards God, sending them out too soon. You know, This has a lot to do with ministry as well. A lot of these things will parallel ministry. You want guys in the ministry with you who are not novices. We're told that in 1 Timothy. Not someone who's new, who's maybe arrogant or prideful or can be or can be puffed up. Not someone who's distracted and isn't so sure they're going to walk with God. They need to be proven men that have walked with the Lord for a long time, have their own life in order. They're not still trying to get their life in order. Uh, how can you help somebody else if your own house isn't in order? And so these are the same kind of rules. If you go to battle, I want you to go to battle for sure because I've sent you and you're going to have victory, but I, I don't want you to be so worried about other things that you're a detriment to the, to the mission, you know. Um, and we have that throughout Scripture. This isn't the only time this is spoken of, but these are some basics. I, 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 want, I want you guys to go ahead and take care of those things. Verse 8. The officers, before you go to battle, shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest his heart of his brethren faint like his heart. And so it shall be, when the officers have finished speaking to the people, that they shall make captains of their armies to lead the people. Very important. Um, fearfulness and faint-heartedness is uh, it's contagious. It spreads. You, know, you get one person out there saying, you know, this, we can't do this, we can't do this. All, that, all of a sudden, I don't know if we can do this. And you start having doubts too. He says, I don't want that. I want you to go home. It's a free out. Are you scared? Mm-hmm. Go home then. We don't need you. And honestly, he didn't need him. You think about Gideon when he went to battle. He had too many guys over and over again. God says, you got too many until finally he ended up with 300. Yep, that's about right. That's about a 100 to 1 ratio. That'll work. That way I get the glory for it. It was good. And so God isn't afraid of, well, I don't know. If you're, if, you're, if you're medium afraid, you can still show up. But if you're like super afraid, then you go home. He says, I don't want any fear at all on my battlefield. Go home. Go home. I can't help but think of John Mark. Remember when... Uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas had that big dispute in the book of Acts. They were uh, on the missionary trip, and they went on their first missionary trip, and they brought John Mark along. Um, and Mark was Barnabas' cousin, and uh, got a little fearful, and about halfway through the trip, he went back home again. He didn't like it. It just wasn't his cup of tea. Second trip, second missionary trip, Barnabas says, let's bring him along. I want to bring him along again. Let's try Mark out. And Paul says, we don't got time for crybabies. Paraphrase. We don't have time for him. And they got in a heated dispute about it, a rough thing. And they said, nope. And so they didn't go together. And Paul took Silas and Barnabas took Paul or Mark and they went on their ways. And it worked out fine. Later on, Paul says, yeah, you can bring Mark to help me out. He'll, he's a blessing now. But he needed some growing up, you know, some work. Again, in ministry, it's very important. It's very important, first of all, that you have your own house in order. We talked about that, but that you're not a fearful, faint-hearted person. They say that there's a, you don't want negative people around you because they've all got a problem for every solution that you come up with. You want to be the other way around. You want to be, yeah, we could do this. Let's go for it. You know? um, no, no worries, I got this. You know, confident, uh, self-starters, um, people that aren't afraid to step out and, and do these things that are asked of them. And God's going to ask them a lot. I want you to go out and do some battle. I want you to do war for me. I'm evicting these people from the land. I want you to do this. And so those who are fearful and faint-hearted, there's no room for that. In fact, 
In the book of Revelation, that's one of the things added to God's list of those that go to perdition, is cowardice. And that's something that we as men need to be very careful of, that we don't become these fearful, faint-hearted men. Um, the world would love us to be fearful and faint-hearted. Um, one of the Proverbs actually tells our psalmist, I guess, uh, writes that a, a man who wanders from the Lord is like a man who wanders from his nest. What that simply means is you leave your nest unprotected. You wander from the Lord, it's like wandering from your nest. And you leave your nest open and vulnerable. You leave your family, you leave your home open and vulnerable. Stay with the Lord. Walking with Jesus isn't for the faint-hearted. It's not for the fearful. It isn't easy. There's a lot of easy things to take. There's a lot of different roads to take. It's a lot easier to not walk with God in this world than it is to walk with Him. You need to be a warrior every single day, waking up knowing that everything is against you from walking with Jesus. But you're going to do it anyway. And so... He asks him, is anybody fearful or faint-hearted? I don't want it, lest your brethren become fearful. Now, on the other hand, courage, courage is, is contagious also. Confidence is contagious. Your kids are watching you. My kids are watching me. If I'm confident in the Lord, confident in the Lord they're going to become confident in the Lord. They know that when I ask and God answers, and they say, well, I can ask, and God will answer me too. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And they see that. They see mom and dad faithfully walking with the Lord, living their life, having a marriage that's committed to him. And they'll want that also. And they see how it works. They see that it works. And they'll see folks where they haven't walked with God and it's not working. It's not for the fearful and the faint-hearted. And you can read 1 Timothy 3 to see all these qualifications of anybody in ministry, and that's one of them. I can't have any fearful and faint-hearted people. Verse 10. When you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of peace to it, and it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you but war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God delivers it into your hand, not if, but when the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. But the women and the little ones and the livestock and all that is in the city, all its spoil, you shall plunder for yourself and you shall eat the enemies plunder which the Lord your God gives you. Thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far, that's very important, very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations. In other words, the land that they're going into now, the current Israel, those people know. No peace offering for them at all. Far away cities, yes, absolutely. You absolutely can. But not these near cities. And that, we'll run into that in Judges. Um, actually, not in Judges. Um, um, in Joshua, um, when some guys pretend to be from a faraway place and they offer him peace and it ends up they were just over the hill and there were people they were supposed to completely wipe out and they get caught because they didn't inquire the Lord, they didn't use wisdom, they didn't use discernment. Anyway, this is the rule for those that are faraway cities. God will be with you even in those. Verse 16. But of the cities of these peoples which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, in other words, the people you're evicting out of their land, you shall let nothing that breathes, remain alive. We shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. He understands their weakness. I want you to take them out so that you don't learn what they've done. That's why they're getting evicted for the things they're doing, and I don't want them hanging around teaching you bad habits. 
Be careful about that. These things are picked up. People are like sponges. We are. We pick up what we're around. We can't help it. You've heard that expression a lot. Ooh, oh, I came out of that situation. I just need to take a shower. Felt corrupted there. Felt like I got all dirty there. That's right. You do. And it's probably accurate. We need to be careful who we're around. And he says, I don't want you to do that. They're, they're doing abominable things. In other words, God is for war. Let's get that straight. <laughs> in today's day and age, people don't think he is. He absolutely is. We are in a war. We're in a battle. Good versus evil. We're constantly in it. And if you're not willing to wage war, um, then you're not in the fight, obviously. Um, he says, no, I don't want the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I don't want any of them left because I don't want them. <laughs> Maybe give them a nudge, huh? <laughs> when you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it, to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them, if you can eat of them. Do not cut them down to use it in uh, the siege. In other words, you can use the whatever other trees, cedars, things like that, but anything that's producing fruit, an apple tree or a cherry tree or some kind of almond tree or fig tree, leave those because you're going to need those later when you win. We're going to need those trees. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued. So it will be subdued, but you've got to, there's some work. Um, not every city is going to be like Jericho. Not every city is going to be just a simple hike around the place, you know, several times. Um, some of them you're actually going to have to go to war against. You're going to actually have to lift a finger. And so it's important that we pray as Christians, but we're also doers. Um, we got to pay attention to what he tells us to do. Um, sometimes God will just take these things away from us, but sometimes we need to go to war. Our sin um, is at war with us. It wants to divide us and keep us from our God. Um, it wants to keep you from this book. You've heard the expression, sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. And so your sin is hungry and wants you to do what it wants you to do all the time, and sometimes it's easy to say no to the flesh. Other times it's more of a battle. It's more of a war. Um, and sometimes you have to make a siege against it. Now, you'll win if you do war against your sin, fight it, um, but you've got to do that. You've got to put that siege up. You have to make the decision to do the war. All right, now, chapter 21. We're going to go really quick through this one. The first one is the law of concerning unsolved murders. That's verses 1 through 9, and basically what it says is, if you find someone dead in the field, you don't know who did it, there's no clues, you can't figure it out, offer up a, a cattle for it, Kill a, cat, kill a, kill a, a heifer, um, and then that'll shed or uh, cover over the innocent blood that was shed that day. Um, you need to do that. All, all murders, any kind of murder that takes place has to be covered, and since you don't know who it was, then you offer up and, uh, this animal. And some say, that's not fair. The poor cow didn't do anything. Well, here's the thing. Remember, every one of these things represents and, and is a picture of Jesus Christ. No sin goes unpunished. None. Even if you don't know them. This is one of those, I don't know who sinned. Doesn't matter. Still needs to be paid for in God's economy. And so when Christ died for the sins of the world, he died for all sin, past, present, and future. Whether you know or whether you didn't know, he died for them. And as a Christian, as a born-again believer, take heart in this very section here, knowing that Christ died for the sins you don't even know you've committed. I thought you had to confess. You do. I mean, you need to tell the Lord that that's wrong when you know it. But there's a lot of things I've probably done that I don't know I've done offended you for one, or you know, hurt somebody, or said something, or I don't know, cut somebody off, not even seeing them. 
you know, or something on the road and cause them to sin. And, oh my goodness, this is covered. We're covered under the blood of Jesus. So know that. Verses 10 through 14. Um, this shows that when you do take someone captive, a, a group, and you find this gal attractive, one of the captives attractive, she's still under the same rules and laws as if she was an Israelite. You still have to marry her. You don't just get to take her. You don't get concubines and all that stuff. Um, you have to marry her and take care of her and all that. Um, and so that's what that section covers. It protects those who have peacefully given themselves over to Israel if they've been conquered. Yes, you can stay. and Yes, you can actually marry into the family. Um, and you get taken care of with the same, uh, with the same uh, coverage anyway. Uh, verses 15 through 17. Firstborn inheritance rights. If a man has two wives, not supposed to. This isn't authorizing it. He's saying, all of, none of this is supposed to happen. Not supposed to kill anybody, but if it happens. Not supposed to, you know, uh, probably not supposed to marry outside. Um, you know, let the captives marry the captives. And you're not, but if you do, um, we know that Moses uh, married an Ethiopian woman. Um, in this case, if you happen to have two wives and you have two firstborn males, when you die and you divide up the inheritance, you don't get to pick one over the other just because you loved one and didn't like the other lady as much. Um, it's even. Uh, you need to give it to both sons evenly. You don't get to show any partiality. That's your problem if you didn't like her. That's not their problem. It has nothing to do with the boy. The rebellious son. If a man is a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, they discipline him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gate of his, this, of his city, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. You shall put away the evil person from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Let's go backwards through that. The point of this is so that they hear and fear. I bet you only had to do this once in that city. And I bet all the other guys went, mm, Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir from then on out. Now, we don't do that anymore. Thank goodness, right? I don't know how many kids would be alive. They're kind of hard-headed sometimes. I was one of those. I wouldn't be sitting here. What I'm saying is I wouldn't be here. I was this kid. I mean, I was a drunkard. I was a, a miserable kid to raise. Um, and my dad would stand right beside me this, on Father's Day saying, yep, he sure was a miserable kid to raise. But he loved me anyway. Um, but the idea is it spreads. Rebellion spreads. And he knows that. God knows that. If you don't deal with this, now this kid's probably one of those empty, you know, this, one of these kids that failed to launch, you know, because he's a drunkard. I mean, this kid's at home drinking everything. He's probably 30-something living in mom's basement, or what if they had him back then. And it's like, no, this kid needs to get out. He's not necessarily talking about a 15-year-old or a 17-year-old or something. Maybe. Could be. But he's saying you need to deal with this. You can't let these things go unpunished. You can't let these things slide. Parenting is very difficult. I'd say 1% of it is discipline. 99% of it is showing love, grace, and mercy, teaching, admonishing, helping them along, helping them to understand who they are, what they're going through, what this world's like, who God is. That's 99% of it. 1% of it's discipline. Um, but in this case, obviously, this kid just doesn't want to. And there are those people out there, you know, um, there's hope. If you've got one of those kids, it's like, I, this kid is I nothing but trouble. Always has been. He's just always, the other kids, not a problem. They'd listen, they'd do this. Just one kid. I don't know what's wrong with him. 
Franklin Graham was that kid for his parents. Billy Graham's kid, Franklin, who's in charge of Samaritan's Purse now, he was that kid. So there's hope. You don't have to throw him out. Franklin wouldn't be around either, you know, um, if this was still in force. So keep that in mind. Uh, pray for your kids. Help them. Uh, teach them. Train them. Raise them up in the ways that they should go. Let them see it in your life also, how to walk with Jesus. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. Verse 22. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land in which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed for God. And of course, we see Paul picking up on this same theme. Um, um, I think it's Galatians chapter 3. I think we just went over that on Wednesday nights. Um, same thing, Christ had to get down off the tree because he became sin for us. Um, and so there's that picture. So don't leave him up there. Don't leave him up there. Get him buried. We don't want to... Uh, he, he's not meant to be a decoration or anything. It's, you know, you do your judgment and you get him down, you bury him, and, and we're done with it. So don't, let it don't let it linger. Um, and, you know, not to spiritualize the text too much, but uh, when you're raising your kids, let things go. You know, if you've dealt with it, uh, if the discipline's been given, you don't get to keep bringing it up. You don't, just like we don't get tried on the same, uh, you know, the same charges twice in our country, you can't do the same thing for your kids. You know, let them go. Married couples, pay attention to this. If they've said they're sorry, they're sorry. Let it go. We have to let it go. Um, it's, it's, been, it's, it's dead. You don't get to keep bringing up, well, you know what? And all of a sudden, you've been keeping a tally in the back of your mind. This is number 27 for you, you know? Jesus covers that. When, until they reach 490, you've got to keep forgiving. In the same day, I don't know if I could do that, but I'm supposed to try. I don't, nobody's ever tested me in that, thank goodness. Chapter 22. You shall not uh, see your... And this, is where, this is where the support system comes in that I was saying. God, God wants that, but we don't need it. As a, as, a, as a group, we're supposed to be a support system. We're supposed to know that and help each other out. As an individual, you have to know that if that support system's not there, you're fine. You're just fine with God, okay? You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. You see someone's cows out? We do that around here. Well, I don't. I just look, hey, there's a cow out. Bummer. I mean, because I don't know what to do. He'd run me over and kill me. But for those of you who are ranchers, you know, oh, man, that's Bob's cows again. Or steers, or I don't even know what the right words are to use, because... Just not that guy. But you go help them. You know? You shut people's gates, right? You do that. You shall not see them off and wandering around and not help them. If your brother is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house. Careful there. <laughs> no, I tagged him. I knew it was, you know, spray paint on the side, Bob's cow, not Dad's, Dan's cow, you know, so they know that you're not trying to steal it. But take it back to your place so it stays safe, is the idea. We had that happen to us with a kid. Parent fail. Bad time. I, when I worked down at the station with Mick back in Tarkio, a um, long time ago, went down there and Seth decided to come visit me. Now it's Tarkio, Missouri. You could pretty much, he could, he could go anywhere if he wanted to. But he started walking down the road and there was a, a pastor who drove by, saw him walking. He only got a half block away. Jenny probably would have caught him, but half block away. And um, put him in the car and drove him back home. And brought him back to the door and said, hey, Seth was on his way to see Dad. You know, just one of those times where, uh, thank goodness, people looking out. 
And that's how it's supposed to be. And for the most part, we do that. I think we have a big fear, and maybe justified, about strangers and all that. Um, I'm personally glad that Seth got in the car with this guy and came home. (laughs) He probably would have made it to the station fine. He's a pretty resourceful kid, even at that age. But um, for the most part, we look out for each other. We watch each other's kids, especially around here. I, I wouldn't rely on that. Not all of us know who your kid is or where they are out here on the land and everything. You do kind of got to keep an eye on them. Um, after we let off, we let them out of Sunday school and you take con- control of them, c- custody of them. Um, safety's on you as far as that goes, so be careful. But for the most part, we're, we're pretty good. We're pretty good watching out. And he wants us to do that. So take this donkey or this cow or whatever it is home, and you shall do the same with his donkey, and so you shall do with his garment. Uh, by the way, we have a lost and found from camp. We did it. We did exactly what this scripture says. It's all laid out for you. It's so funny to tell the kids, you got everything? You all packed up? Oh yeah, we're ready. Well, there's shoes, underwear, towels, shoes. How do you not know you don't have your shoes? You know, kind of thing. Oh, I'm fine. So they're all out there. <laughs> you shall do the same with his donkey and so on. If he has lost, uh, which any lost thing of your brother's, which he has lost, if you have found... You shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. Um, so in other words, you can't, just, you can't just overlook it. You know, really, this is probably a New York problem, not, an, not a Midwest problem. You know, you hear about these stories of these folks on subways that are getting beat up and mugged and stuff, and there's people just reading their papers, not looking. Who does that? Can you imagine if that happened around here? You have 29 rednecks on top of them, just pounding them to death. Cops don't even need to show up around here. Just saying. Watch out for each other, he says. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him lift them up again. So we want to do that. Okay, next section, verse 5. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Well, I don't know. See, back then, and it has to do with the day has to do with the day. In other words, back then, understand this, men wore ephods. If you don't know what that is, that's a dress, kind of. That's like an ephod. It's an open thing on the bottom. It's a dress with sandals, basically. But it's probably more manly looking, maybe a little more rough looking or something. So you could wear that. Now, today, you know when someone's trying to dress up like a woman and when someone's trying to dress up like a man. No. It's still an abomination to God. It's an abomination then. It's an abomination now. God doesn't change. God doesn't change. Now, we have changed our values in this country, but that doesn't mean God's changed his values. We need to get lined up with him. So when we read passages like this, and we're confronted with something that the world's been telling us is okay, and we need to be more accepted about it, we need to be more open to it, I have a choice to make here with verse 5. As a Christian, if you're a born-again believer, do I discount God's word and throw it out, take your black magic marker and wipe this out because this doesn't apply today? Or do I need to line up with Scripture and what I've been told is a lie? So you don't get to dress up like a woman. Unless you're Scottish. I guess you get to wear a kilt. That's allowed. But for the most part, no. Now some people take this to the extreme. Women have to wear dresses when they come to church. Men must wear pants and that's how it is. That's not how it is in our country right now. In the sense that um, women very wear... I remember Pastor Chuck teaching on this. He goes, there's some women's pants that I would never wear. 
that you can tell. You know the difference. And the idea is it's the intent of the heart. Are you trying to dress up like a woman or are you trying to dress up like a man? Um, are you trying to change? No, um, that's not allowed. It's an abomination to the Lord. If a bird's nest happens to be before you along the way in a tree or on the ground and the young ones are the eggs uh, with the mother sitting on the young one or the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go uh, and take the young for yourself that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days. In other words, if you take the mom too, there won't be any more eggs next week, basically, or next season. So be careful about that. Verse 8, when you build a new house... When you make, this is, this, is, uh, um, this is OSHA, back in the Bible. When you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof that you, uh, that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. In other words, you can make a roof that you can get on top of it, but put a little wall up. You know, you've been doing a roofing job, a killer roofing job I've been hearing, right? But you have to put, I bet you've got barriers all the way around the edges of it with the yellow ropes or whatever else you've got around it so guys don't fall off of it, you know? Um, so he says that. He said, in other words, you are responsible to make your property safe. You are responsible for that. Well, what are they doing trespassing anyway? Make it safe, God says. Think of other people, you know. Um, you, can't be, you can't be doing that. Um, so he's called them on this. Put something up for that so that no one falls off. Avoid accidents if you can. Verse 9. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. Um, I don't know what that means exactly because I'm not a farmer. I don't know what kind of crossbreeding that maybe they're trying to do here or trying to cheat. Maybe there's something that looks really close to wheat but not nearly as valuable, and when you put it together, you can't tell the difference once it's harvested. And so the weight ratio is, I think I'm getting a pound of wheat, but I'm actually you're getting a half pound. I don't know. I'm just guessing here. So whatever it is, just, hey, this field needs to be this, and this field needs to be this. Don't be blending them together, is what he's telling them, um, for, for whatever reason at the time. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. It's not fair. Can't keep up. The ox is going to be doing most of the work, more than likely. The poor donkey can't keep up. He's always going to be drugged. So he says you need to even that up, but you need to have the same... Uh, same strength, same size, and so on, pulling. Um, and it's interesting that God says that in the New Testament. Don't be unevenly yoked with an unbeliever. You'll be dragging them around the rest of your life, for one thing, whether that's a business partnership or a marriage. Come on, honey, it's time to go to church. Oh, I have to go to church today? Yep, get, your, get out of your pajamas, get your clothes on. It's Mother's Day. You've got to go to church. It's the only thing I want. People actually do that. And then there sits the guy... How much longer is this? It's hot in here. Does this guy never stop talking? It's like, dude, don't come. Um, you know, tell her no. Uh, it's up to you. And so don't be unevenly yoked. Um, in other words, young people who are thinking about getting married, consider this. Consider this. Is the person you're dating someone who walks with the Lord as closely as you do, wants to? Are they leading you? Um, if they're not, find someone else. There's a lot of guys and gals out there, but don't walk with somebody and don't, someone who just doesn't want to serve God or doesn't love God or doesn't, eh, I don't know, you know. You're going to pay for that 10 or 15 years down the road. It's, it's hard. So watch out for that. Um, verse 11. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. You shall, you shall make tassels on the four corners of your uh, clothing, uh, which uh, you cover yourself. And that's just a tradition that they have that God put on them for the Jews. That's not for us today, but for them. But the wool and the linen, um, 
no mixture in there. He didn't want the priests doing that either. I don't want you to either wear wool or linen, but not both. Don't mix them together. Um, linen represents grace in the Bible, and wool rep- represents work in the Bible. If you go through this, um, the priests are to wear linen. They're not supposed to be sweating in their work. Um, of course, that's a picture of Christ and his grace and his mercy that he's shown for us, and that we don't work for salvation. We don't sweat equity our way into heaven. Um, it's given to us. There's no labor on our part except believing on Christ. Okay? So that's kind of what's tied into this here. Verse 13. If any man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her and charges her with, a sh- with shameful conduct and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman and when I came and found her, she was not a virgin, then the father, the mother, the young woman uh, shall take, the, tell, take and bring out the evidence of the young woman's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And the young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as a wife. He detests her. Now he has charged her with shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin, and yet these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. Then the elders of that city shall take that man and punish him, and they shall fine him 100 shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman, because he has brought a bad name on the virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife, and he cannot divorce her all his days. This caused everybody to slow down a little bit in their accusations. And I don't know what kind of evidence he's talking about here. Um, but if it's, if it's known that she's a virgin, and this guy says that she's not, you can't... In other words, God's protecting her from this maligning of her character. You can't do this, not and get away with it. You can't just say that about people. Accusations aren't enough, in other words. Um, and he's going to carry that on in here to um, rape and so on. But if the thing is true, verse 20... And the evidence of virginity are not found for the young woman. In other words, they find out that she really isn't. There's some inquisition that takes place. Um, they ask around or whatever. Then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of the father's house, and the men of the city shall stone her to death with stones because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Simply saying you need to be pure when you get married, both guys and gals. We are just moving away from that in our society, obviously. It's probably pretty rare to find a virgin either way, man or girl. But either way, it's required. It's that important to God. Um, This is something that's never changed. Now, again, our values have changed where, oh, well, you know, everybody's going to sow their wild oats. No, absolutely not. Um, That's absolutely forbidden. Um, Now, there's forgiveness, of course, if you have. Um, there's always God's grace and his mercy, but it's not permission. That God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness is never permission for us to sin. Um, and so here he, he lays it out. No, absolutely not. You need to stay pure. Verse 22, if a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. This obviously would go along with the woman caught in adultery. Um, and we wonder why, well, where's the guy, you know? Why wasn't the guy found, or why wasn't the guy brought there? And there's a big question mark there. But either way, they weren't to do this because he was supposed to be brought also. Of course, Jesus said he who is not sin cast the first stone. But here's the law. Um, if you're found uh, committing adultery, then you both die. Uh, the, man and, uh, that the, the man that lay with the woman and the woman, you shall put away the evil from Israel. In other words, I don't want this going on and carrying on. You can't be doing this. Um, now, this rule only applies when the nation of Israel decides to not walk with God anymore. When you're walking with God and you're filled with the Spirit and you're walking in the Spirit, you don't need the law. 
That's the whole point of the New Testament. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't need the law. God tells me what's right or wrong. It's written in my heart, and I obey Him. Laws are for lawbreakers. That's the only reason the law was written, was to show us that we were lawbreakers. And so he writes this down. You shouldn't be lying with anybody else's husband or anybody else's wife, but when you do, you both die. And he wants to know the seriousness of this. There's consequences for this. You give yourself away. Verse 23. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them uh, to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put the evil uh, from among you. So you're in the city. Everybody can hear you. There's no streetcars. There's no noise or anything like that. All you have to do is cry out, and there'll be 20 rednecks on top of you, on top of this guy. You need to do that. But if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside, in other words, where no one can hear, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of death. For just as, just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. For In other words, rape is equal to murder in God's eyes. There shouldn't be any question about it in our eyes, what it is. Rape is equal to murder in God's eyes. Same punishment for it. For he found her in the countryside, and the betrothed young woman cried out, but there was none to save her. There wasn't anybody. Verse 28. If a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, uh, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they, and, and they are found out. Um, in other words, it was a secretive thing. The seizes thing probably trips you up here. Um, and they are found out. In other words, someone finds out that they got together. In other words, she kind of likes the guy is the idea. It's not, this, this isn't rape. This isn't forced, as it was earlier in verse 25. Um, seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out. Then the man who lay with her shall give the young woman woman's father, 50 shekels of silver, uh, and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her. He shall not uh, be permitted to divorce her all his days. Now, some don't like this, but the, the idea is this is protection. This is causes every guy to say, no, you, you can't, can't get away with this, and there's a penalty for it. And there's, not, I don't say penalty, but there's a consequence for this, um, and you need to pay attention to that. Um, you are going to be married to this girl the rest of your life if you decide to do that. Are you sure? Are you sure, you know, um, that you want to do this before the betrothal, before the marriage? Because if you do, that's it. You're married. You're it. Um, so there's this cost. There's this protection. Verse 30. A man shall not take his father's wife, nor uncover his father's bed. And that's self-explanatory. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. A lot of it's stuff that's, well, it's, it's odd to us. We've grown up in a country where... Um, it's different. We have laws and, and we have uh, varying degrees of different things. And so some of this stuff is just a strong cup of coffee for us this morning. Um, but that's okay. It tells us your heart on the matter. It shows us your heart to protect women. It shows us your heart um, to punish evildoers. It shows us your heart that you don't change. Um, you are who you are. You say what you say and you don't change. And we're thankful for that, God. Um, because that unchanging nature of yours, uh, because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, means that you are the same Savior that we believed on when we first got saved. You're the same strength. You're the same gracious God. You're the same merciful God um, that we have now in Christ. 
And we thank you for that, God. Uh, we rely on that mercy. We're so thankful that these laws aren't being applied individually. Maybe nationally, maybe from the government's perspective, and that's okay. We know your word tells us that, but we're so thankful, God, that there's grace and mercy for us, that there's forgiveness for sins. And we receive that. Every one of us is guilty of sins. Every one of us this morning is no better than the other. We're no better than the worst sinner on earth. We have violated your law. We have broken your commandments. But your son has died on the cross for those sins. And we thank you for that. We receive that this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Lord and Savior, for taking the punishment, for being that heifer that was killed in our behalf, for being sin, becoming sin on the cross for us. We thank you for that, God. We rely on that. Now, God, knowing all that, knowing how good you are, how gracious you are, merciful, help us to be that towards other people this morning. Help us to go on with our life remembering that, understanding who we are, never thinking of ourselves higher than those around us and walking with you closely, filled with the Spirit, able to give out forgiveness and grace and mercy to those who need it around us, God. We desire that. Lord, if we, were learned, if we learned a little bit something about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves before marriage, Lord, help us to obey that. Help us to not think it's okay. Help us to wait till marriage, Lord, before we become physical, Lord. Help us to understand that your word is true and it's for our best. Lord, bless these guys as they go today. Help them all to have a great Father's Day, a great family day. If they're not fathers, help them to have a great day anyway in you because you're their father. And may they celebrate you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Have a good rest of the week.